Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my co-worker, Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and today we are here to talk about the very, very, very exciting race at Fontana, where I currently am here. Jordan, looking out at the grandstands as the sun is setting on really, really, really fun day. Quite an eventful weekend. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Best Fontana race ever? I don't know about ever. I mean, there's been some pretty decent ones. No, uh, certainly in the last uh, few years, it's it hasn't been not that beginning great, but to end, not like this. No it, way. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I mean, I mean, I mean there have been moments at Fontana where the racing is really good, and you're like, oh, this is great. But beginning to end, from green flag lap one to lap two hundred, this was nothing even comes close. I'm sorry, this was I'm, phenomenal. I mean, there was never a point in this race where it got boring at all never like not even close you know like no. it was very interesting start to finish um you know first of all how about the role that nascar is on in general like what a start to the season between the clash daytona 500 now this um so much to talk about so much it seems like positive momentum things seem going in the right direction um certainly i would say since i've been covering the sport i cannot remember a better three race start to the season than this. Um, just, I mean, th- this was just fantastic. I mean, I-, I just, I don't know what you could possibly want, uh, other than maybe, you know, t- flat tires, um, you know, that not, that don't disable yeah. a car, but aside from those, you know, that kind of small issue, uh, things are going pretty well right now for old NASCAR. Uh, things seem to go be going in the right direction. A lot of just good vibes, positive momentum, and this this Fontana race, the first real race with the next-gen car. So much to dig into. Thank you for all the storylines, everybody. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> really hard for you to rate the top five this week. Yeah, no, I, I won't have a shortage of that. So um, like first of all, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, first of all, Kyle Larson wins the race. It, and it's funny because, you know, you could have said uh, – a week ago, oh, Kyle Larson will win this race. And we would have been like, okay, well, that's, I guess that's sort of predictable. But this race was anything but predictable. Uh, so that really doesn't tell the story at all. But we, we've got to dive in immediately to the Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson uh, incident there. So um, after the race, uh, Kyle Larson really sort of adamantly stated his case that he absolutely did not know that Chase Elliott was on his outside when he, you know, kind of moved up the track very quickly and, and ended up putting his teammate into the wall um, when they were battling for the lead with Joey Logano. Uh, he said that he was so focused on side drafting Logano that, you know, then, you know, he was trying to take his momentum away 
and then the the you know turns coming up so he moves up the track and and his, at the very last second he's moving up the track he hears a spotter say you know outside 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 you know kind of like up high thing and but it, it was too late by that time and he so his arguments to prove his point that he really would never do that to a teammate and all this stuff um his arguments are that if he knew truly that his teammate was there he would have made a conscious effort to sort of block Elliot's lane um, and never give him the top in the first place, never give him a chance to do that. And he wouldn't have side drafted Logano so aggressively, if that makes sense. But his bottom line was, you know, he would never do that. He said he's going to explain that to Elliot. Elliot, uh, Bob Pockers and I both tried, um, you know, getting some comments from him after the race. Didn't have a whole lot to say. Uh, I asked him, you know, what, what happened there when, you know, you got walled with Larson and he's like, oh, is that what happened? And I was like, well, I mean, it's, I'm not sure it's definitive, you know? And then he said something like the results speak for themselves or the results are what they are, something like that. And then that, that was it. He also told Bob separately before I got there that, um, he did not spin on purpose, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so I guess given all the facts or the, uh, at least the testimony from Mr. Larson that I've just presented to you, what do you think? Do you, do you buy Kyle Larson's story? Yeah, I mean, Larson is not a driver who has a history of being aggressive and putting teammates in bad spots. So I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And it is, you would think that in this moment he's going to – he's a clean racer. And obviously, if he, I think he made a late move and he made a mistake and a miscalculation, but it wasn't deliberate by any means. And if had he known that Elliott was so, you know, was so close or was there, he probably would have done something different. And I don't think you can – I have a really hard time saying that it's – anything but a racing accident. This is what happens when you have two guys are racing for the lead on a track like this, where you see a lot of late moves being made. Guys get, they use the draft, they get a run and they swoop out and, and they try to, you know, go by somebody. And this time, unfortunately, these two guys doinked off each other. And this is what happens. And Elliot's comments post-race are funny because on the radio, he was pretty heated and he was very adamant that, what had happened and the team reinforced his belief. He actually came on and said, Hey, I want to make, after he kind of went on this little rant, he, he said, okay, I want to go on there. I want to make sure what I thought happened happened. And the team came on and said, well, yeah, that's actually what exactly what happened. <laughs> and then, and then he came on the radio and said, I'm going to make sure I don't say anything post-race that's inflammatory. And I, I thought it was interesting. I, I don't put any blame on one person or another. It, this is a racing ad- accident and it happens what you you're, you're going to have these moments occasionally when you're in these situations and I, it's larson's going to feel the brunt of this because chase elliott fans can be cruel and they have long memories and they can be unmerciful uh, unmerciful sometimes so i think you're if you're kyle larson you can probably expect to hear some booze for the next little bit but eventually this is going to blow over and i think cooler heads uh will subside you know will subside within the hinder camp and they're really good about squashing any long-term beefs so, yeah, like you're saying, um, obviously the Elliott fans are not really buying it. The Dawsonville pool room replied to my tweet um, with a bunch of laughing, crying face emojis when I said that this was what Larson had said. However, personally, I uh, actually do 100% buy the argument that Larson made. I do not think that – From here's my, my uh, evidence, I guess, so to speak, that I would present. Why would you do that? What would be the point of doing that? The – you know, early season race that means nothing in the long run to wall your teammate intentionally to make contact. What would the point of that be? 
There's no point. They're going to be teammates for a long time. They have no bad blood. They get along well. They just went dirt racing together in the offseason. It's not like they're fierce rivals. Um, certainly, I would understand why Elliot is upset. Uh, of course, 100%. Yes. But Larson, to, to think that he did that on purpose, oh, Elliot's out there, and, and I'm just going to wall him to make sure he doesn't get by me. Give me a break. Kyle Larson doing that? No. Now, what he did at the Clash, I think, um, you know, you could say, oh, Larson loses temper sometime, but that was after he already got hit uh, or perceived that he got hit, and then he walled Justin Haley and Also not that a teammate, card. by the way, too. When you're not a teammate. your teammate, it's much easier to get angry and have your kind of emotions get the better of And you this is not a short track. I mean, yes, you're not at a high speed. It's just to think that he, again, I I just don't buy it at all that, um, you know, that he would have done that on purpose. Um, now I also happen to think that Elliot's team, this is not the first instance of them doing this. They, you know, fire him up. Alan Gustafson does not calm him down. A lot of times Alan Gustafson is as angry about stuff as Elliot does. And I feel like he inflames the situation at times. And when they told him, when Elliot said, well, look, I want you guys to watch the replay and just make sure that, you know, what I think I saw is what I saw or whatever. Um, And then they said, yep, yep, that's what you saw. Um, I think that's inflaming the situation because what they really should have said was, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, it looks bad, but, you know, look, it's your teammate. He probably didn't do that on purpose. Let's go back and race or or whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean especially because then you have Elliot going, well, I don't, I, you know, I'm probably going to wreck and I don't care if I wreck. I don't care who's leading when I do it kind of thing, which is why, you know, people will say, oh, did he do it on purpose? However, um, again, I, I, I don't think he did it on purpose. Uh, you know, now could he have pitted to make sure that his damaged car did not spin while his teammate was in the lead to preserve the win and not give the field another shot at a restart? Yes, he could have done that. Um, so maybe he didn't care as much, but to think that he spun on purpose to cause a caution to deny his uh, teammate, just sort of like what he was doing with uh, Harvick or something, you know, d- you know, s- denying Harvick's win at Bristol last year, um, I-, I just don't buy it. So what what do you think? Did he spin on purpose? Any chance of that? No, I don't think there's any chance that he had a bad, car, he had a broken car. He was talking on the radio about it. They were telling him, hey, if it's not going to make it, pit. pit. It's one of those things there is to deliberately spin out and to cost your teammate a win to deliberately do so not accidentally, not circumstantial. That is a next level of, of uh, pettiness. (laughs) Pettiness is a good word. That's a good word. Pettiness is good. And that all of a sudden takes a situation that probably can quickly be extinguished and put aside and move forward. And then all of a sudden, you're bringing in other parties and all of a sudden you've got to answer to your team owner saying, well, wait a second here. What did you do? And you cost us what? This isn't even a Keselowski Logano situation from Daytona a year ago where these guys are just racing hard and they made a mistake. This is intentionally doing something that cost your organization a win. That, that, that's something you just can't do. And Elliot, and I'll get, again, I'll say Elliot is not that driver. I mean, he is somebody who we, he isn't throughout his career. He is somebody who, if you wrong him, he's going to go out and get revenge but he's not somebody who's going to do something like this to get his revenge. He's more of a direct, I'm going to deal with it myself kind of, you know, manner. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I guess where we both come down on it. We both think that, um, Larson did not wall his teammate on purpose. And we both think that Elliot did not, uh, spin on purpose. However, of course you'll have probably a lot of people who, um, 
who feel differently or, or whatever. And I I'm almost sure... wish we had like a Chase Elliott fan we could have on here. We should do like a Chase, just like have them just come on and rant and rave and then get their side of things. Cause I would really like to hear that. Just the Twitter mentions right now are just crazy. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting how, how Hendrick handles this. Jeff Andrews from Hendrick Motorsports came in after the race and um, both Bob Pockers and I asked him, you know, what do you do here? You know, and he said the first step is going to be to get Kyle and Chase to sit down and, you know, sort of, kind of trying to come to an understanding. And then they'll they'll have their meeting, um, their whole team debrief, and they'll look at all the data and show each other the data from this. You know, you can see the steering inputs and the brake inputs and uh, play the audio from all that stuff, and they'll, ha they'll hash it out. Um, I will say that uh, Cliff Daniels went to the garage after the race to talk to Alan Gustafson and say, look, uh, you know, we, we hate that happen. You guys are great teammates, and we're going to, you know, try to make sure that um, you know, you, you get your win going forward and all the stuff and just to try to smooth things over there to make sure the teams are still working together. Everybody expressed confidence that they'll be, they'll be able to hash it out. Larson's basically said, you know, he'll, he'll either believe me or he won't, but I'm going to tell him, tell him the exact same story that I just told you guys. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll be mad. Uh, but you know, I, I think they'll, they'll probably get over it. Um, I will say that Larson obviously does not like confrontation and doesn't, nope. um, you know, like look at his, look at the Christopher Bell thing. Like he just kind of just wants to move on from things pretty quickly. Um, I feel like Chase definitely has a long memory, but I also feel like Chase is a pretty good team player. Uh, just signed a five-year extension there. He's not going to like suddenly blow up Hendrick Motorsports because he's mad about one race or something. Um, that's the thing too though is you make a good point elliot's now got a new contract extension which by the way you should check out jeff's q a with chase elliot about that contract extension on the athletic.com um but he's got the new contract extension and larson's got a contract extension like these guys aren't going anywhere you know these guys are the building blocks the pillars of hendrick motorsports going forward these are the last two cup series champions and you know the, rick hendrick values both of them and rick has been and i said rick has got a history of this i mean jimmy johnson and jeff gordon you know they went toe to toe and there was some bad blood there for a little bit there and jeff or, or rick was able to kind of you know squash it and, and settle it and that's they're, they're good so is this going to need milk and cookies again or are they going to not get that far <laughs> well that was jimmy and chad um so I think I think it'll be fine. I think it's one of those things too. If you look at the videotape and you see this, and, and, and Larson saying, "Hey, I'm sorry," it quickly goes a long way to kind of ending this, you know. And I I, I can't imagine that this is going to be a thing. And it's it's really hard to foresee that this is going to be like the other Chase Elliott's. Uh, I don't know what you want to call them episodes, if you will. Whether it was Denny Hamlin, or Kyle Busch, or Kevin Harvick, or you know whatever where he, you know, later pays his, he's not going to pay Kyle Larson back. He just, you know, it's your teammate. You, you, you know, you kind of got to play ball a little bit. So at some point you just kind of got to shrug your shoulders and say, it is what it is, whether I like it or not, I can't do much here. Well, it certainly seemed like we wouldn't even be talking about this for a while because for much of the day, it didn't look like Larson was going to win this race. No, uh, he started at the back and it was never a factor. Yeah. I mean, he had an unapproved adjustment, start at the back, um, he ended up leading the second most lap, surprisingly. Uh, but you had, let's see. Oh my gosh. Wow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven different drivers led at least 12 laps today. That that's pretty unbelievable for an intermediate track race to have that kind of parody spread throughout the field. Obviously 
Let's just talk in order, I guess, of sort of the dominant drivers of the day. Let's talk about Tyler Reddick first. We've been talking about how we think over and over, we think Tyler Reddick is uh, on the verge of a breakout season. We think this is going to be a big year for Tyler Reddick. He seems to be coming close. Um, he came close. He, he was doing really well in the clash even um, a few weeks ago. And now to come out here, uh, lead he leads 90 laps a day, which is more than he had led in his entire career combined. Finally seems to have a dominant race where he's putting it all together. And uh, just not making any mistakes either. Showing patience, not pushing himself in bad spots, taking care of his equipment. He, it, was, it was a smart drive today by Tyler Reddick. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, it just, he didn't, we talked to him after the race. He didn't seem to really know why he cut a tire or had a flat tire or whatever. And obviously as he's trying to nurse that tire and William Byron comes by and, and just couldn't avoid him and swipes into him. And, um, that's it. His, his finish was ruined. Uh, very unfortunate for him, but, um, you know, it, it still seems very promising. Now, Reddick said, yes, it is promising, but he also pointed out that this, this track, and we'll talk about the track, but this is very much unlike, most of the tracks we're going to see here for the rest of the year. I mean, this is, um, a big sweeping track, uh, very worn out, um, very bumpy and, and abrasive rough. And it just, you, you can't necessarily say, okay, well, Tyler Reddick was great at Fontana, uh, which is the perfect, exactly kind of track he likes. And now he's going to go be great at Vegas next week. He might be, but he was saying, let's take this with a grain of salt because he's not quite sure yet if that will translate. What, what do you think about that? I, I think this is a driver coming into his own, a driver who before would have fast race cars and end up doing something and costing himself potential wins or really good finishes. And today he didn't do anything wrong. He was out front. He controlled the race. Smart. Well, this is a track too where you can run up high, the high group, which Tyler loves, but he wasn't putting himself in a bad spot and bouncing off the wall like we see him in Homestead or Bristol or some other places along the way. He was taking care of his stuff. And I, I disagree with him. I, I think there's a lot of tracks where you can do well. And, you know, I look at Darlington. I look at Bristol. I look at Homestead. Those are tracks where he should do well and he should go at and think these are opportunities for him to win a race. I think he's going to win this year. I'm surprised he didn't. I thought Richard Childers Racing today came to play. Um, Austin Dillon finished second. Um, in, in this race, which is crazy because uh, he wasn't really somebody we talked about. He kind of quietly just kind of kept working his way up and putting himself in position. And all of a sudden at the end, he's right in the mix, a banner day for Richard Childers racing. And it's, we've talked a lot about this and I'm kind of jumping topics here, but about the competitiveness, competitiveness of this car and what this was going to do and whether this was going to level the field. And I had some serious reservations of whether that was going to happen from the people I've talk to because the bigger organizations still are have these big inherited advantages but today if you look at it i mean look at it jeff i mean you had what uh you had the rcr up there you had eric jones uh up there you had ricky stenhouse jr up there daniel I mean, suarez daniel Suarez, ross chastain at a time i mean if the list goes on it was an impressive uh colleague racing the list goes on of, of drivers and teams we typically don't see battling up in the top five having these great runs and if this is indicative of what's to come that is great and this new car looks to be what people touted it as and i was very encouraged by what we saw today i thought the racing was great and how reddick performed and dylan and all these guys performed i'm excited for next week at las vegas to see 
is this just a fluke? Was this a one-off? Was this just Fontana for whatever reason, just producing a great race? Or is this what we're going to see in a week in week out basis? I mean, honestly, I'm with you in that. I think, you know, we, we talked about the prospect of parody with, you know, the potential for it, right? Like, uh, you know, this in theory should level the playing field, but then we kept coming back to, well, the big teams always have the most resources yeah. always. Now a big team won the race today, but like you said, the names that we saw up there from organizations that we would not know. I mean, Eric Jones all day, all was, day. Yes. Unbelievable. He finished second in both stages. And then, you know, has a great finish. I mean, this was, he wasn't, it wasn't like he fluked out. He got, you know, lucky a pit stop at the end or strategy or something. This was a driver and team who went out there qualified. Well, by the way, <laughs> you know, like this was a great a plus weekend for that driver and team. I mean, it, it's just to see that play into reality with this first real race of the new car, like right away that these, these teams that we wouldn't think would be up there in a normal, you know, the old car and the old way of doing things to be up there. I, I just, I'm, I'm almost just stu- like, just shocked. Like I said, I mean, and the fact that this car raced so well in its first real shot at it, because to me, I, I was almost going to this year thinking, okay, the next gen car, and we've talked about it on the podcast, it's more important, like the financial model and what it means to sports and the actual racing. The racing's probably going to suck for a while, I thought. Like, I thought the racing would really, you know, they're not going to be able to pass or all these things. And, and, uh, it's, I mean, gosh, really the opposite. Um, at least today, I, I just was like, man, they, they're, they can really, I mean, all the lead changes, um, 32 lead changes today. Guys um, coming from the back to the front and multiple times, whether it was a Kurt Busch, whether it was a Kyle Busch or Hamlin or Larson. I mean, guys would have issues and they'd fall back and then they'd come up. And it was also over a course of a long run, too, you'd see comers and goers. And that was that was fascinating to watch. Now, we didn't have I don't think we had green flag pit stops today, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think the longest run. Um, and it's hard to tell just at a quick glance. And I don't want to slow down the podcast to look at it, but um, it wasn't long. Yeah, I mean, let's say I see it uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, not even 20 laps, I don't think. I don't even think I see a 20-lap run on here. Uh, Yeah, so it was— And that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it was still entertaining, and the fact that this car was such a struggle, and you saw it in qualifying with all of the guys having issues, and you saw it in the race— of like how many times have we talked about how these cars over the last couple of years have looked easy to drive and there was no cautions and it was lot you know and that wasn't the case today i mean it was it was crazy to, to see this like guys that you that shouldn't be struggling were struggling to hang on to this race car that's what you want to see the entire weekend the entire weekend that it was like that you know i mean the 10 incidents in practice and qualifying uh that was another you know pretty shocking thing to see how difficult that was and as you said and and i i think you know, all the sort of angst about the 550 package versus 750 last year. This is, Did it you was have so angst about the aero pack, <laughs> the horsepower. I don't remember you having angst. It, it was hard to put into words at times, honestly, like well, no, to, but to put your finger on exactly what was, what was missing or what you were trying to see that wasn't there, what wasn't satisfying about seeing the cars in that slower horsepower package and stuff. But I think this weekend that that's it. It was like, and Mark Martin had some great tweets about it and things like that. And I actually ran it, ran into him in the garage this morning and we were talking a little bit and he's saying, you know, like this is, this is what it should be. Like, this is my favorite eras of NASCAR racing was when 
the drivers really had to prove themselves and wheel it and um, just absolutely had to be on it. And there was no flukes. Like you knew that somebody that got up there uh, to the front or whether it's the pole or whether it's winning the race, they did it because they outdrove everybody, you know? And, and that's like Austin Dillon was saying after the race, he, he was like the most mentally exhausted or something like that, that he can remember because every corner you're trying to catch it and make sure you don't go over that edge, but go right up to it without going over. Um, and this is what the drivers wanted, right? This is what they've been saying with, Hey, can you give us more horsepower? Can you give us, uh, you know, less downforce, um, people, the fans, like we don't want slot car racing. You know, it's too easy to drive. Like you said, and, and it used to be like when the cars would get out of shape, there'd be so much side force. It would just whip them back around. It looked, it looked impossible to wreck. Um, Complete all those things now yeah. it's sideways. And it's like, you know, they're You're going gone. Left. There's almost yeah. no saving it. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so that's, this is, this is, isn't this what everybody asked for? I mean, this is exactly what everybody asked for. Now, obviously there's a few little things in terms of like, number one, I mean, not everybody has enough cars right now. So you don't want to see everybody just wrecking their cars because it, there's a little bit of a shortage still. Um, so, you know, this, this track in particular with, the the amount of tire wear cliff daniels had a great stat on this by the way i think he said that it was like 12 percent tire wear per lap or something like that and the old car here with the old package was like six percent so mm. it was double the amount of tire wear essentially um so you had a very abrasive track this track is very bumpy um low grip compared to some of the other tracks right and uh, then you have this new car that's untested and they don't know the setups yet and, and very little practice and all that stuff. So it was, it was kind of a perfect storm in a way. Um, I, I don't know that this will, you know, I don't know that we're going to see this every week. The teams are going to figure it out more. They're going to dial it in more, but so far what we've seen, I think it is just good signs all around. Um, very bullish on it. Uh, now, like you said, we are jumping around cause we were, talking about drivers. Now we're talking about this, but as long as we're talking about the car, we definitely need to talk about um, a couple issues. And that is, first of all, the flat tires. If you have a yes. flat tire, okay. Having flat tires should not mean that your day is ruined and that you DNF out of a race or that you go five laps down or whatever, because you had a flat tire. Like that's, that's not good. And I will say it makes me feel better that NASCAR knows this. They're well aware of this from what I understand talking to people in the garage and people are trying to think of solutions already. Um, now what those solutions are, uh, is a little bit up in the air today. They had a compromise, which was that if NASCAR judged you to be stopped on the track and, and disabled car because of the flat tires, they would tow you back and you could stay in the car and then they'd start the damage clock then. Um, I still don't think that's, that's not a long-term solution though, because you, you lose so many laps in, during that process, you, you should be able to figure out a way to drive these cars back. Um, a couple people have suggested, I guess Joey Logano had told NASCAR this for one, uh, after the Daytona 500, when he got stuck, there should be some sort of car or, or chase vehicle with essentially like a pit crew, like a general sort of pit crew on it with tires and let's say you spin out on the track, your tires are all down. You can't drive it back. Truck comes up just like a safety truck. Guys pop out, put new tires on your car and you drive back to pit road. So that, that could be one thing. Cause 
The other part of this issue is, Jordan, this is not good. Not good at all. The tow truck has been damaging the cars. When the tow truck uh, drives the cars back to the garage, even if they've just had flat tires, like we said, because they're disabled, there's a rear diffuser in this new car, very low to the ground. And when the tow truck tips the car up, it destroys the rear diffuser. It's costing like 15,000 bucks or something like to damage. Um, so all you do is spin out on the track and you have like $15,000 or more of damage because you got towed for flat tires. That's again, not good, but I think they're trying to think of solutions. Austin Dillon said he thinks there's going to be a fix by Vegas, whatever that may be. We don't, we don't know what that is yet, but, um, Anyway, maybe the drivers like carry a jack in their car themselves and they get out and like do a tire change. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on everything that I just mentioned there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you don't want to see a guy like Ross Chastain who Ross had a great day today running in the top 10, you know, looks like he's got a fast race car, potentially, you know, a banner day and spins out. And then all of a sudden his day shot because he loses a bunch of laps happened to Christopher Bell too. And it's, it's not acceptable. We saw it in qualifying too. There was a lot of slowdown and hangups and things like that. That that you, you gotta figure out you gotta figure out a workable solution where guys, you know, if you spin out, you there's gonna obviously be a a penalty of sorts. You're gonna lose track position and stuff, but it shouldn't end your day if you don't hit anything. That is a no-go. And the, the tow truck thing, it doesn't surprise me because I've seen these guys, even with the older car, like some of these tow truck drivers don't necessarily know the nuances of these cars, and they just kind of like jack these cars up and put them on a hauler or whatever. And you see it in the garage and they're trying to unload them or whatever. And the the crew guys are like, no, 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 stop. Whatever you're doing, just stop because you're wrecking the car. I mean, so it doesn't surprise me that this happens. And these with, with the part shortage and with how delicate these cars are. Yeah. (laughs) It's it, but it it also goes to, we talked about this is like, as this car moves along and you go along the process and you actually start racing it, there are going to be all sorts of little things that come up that you probably don't even think of. And we're starting to see that a little bit. And again, not like crippling, not a, Oh my God, what, what the hell are we going to do here? But these are little things that you got to start to think of, okay, how do we fix this and move forward? And that's what you're seeing. And apparently according to Austin Dillon, that they already are starting to come up with solutions possibly. Well, now to be fair, um, and this is not uh, necessarily a, a good one in NASCAR's column, but you know, there's been talk that NASCAR knew about this or or had been hearing driver feedback about this for a while. Like apparently Tyler Reddick at the Darlington test um, with this car, I believe, um, had some some problem like this. Well, um, we saw it at the we saw it multiple times. Uh, I mean, I was at the, the the Charlotte one of the Charlotte tests, and Byron spun off the, you know, spawn and they had to go out there and change tires. Reddick had to do it. I mean, I, we, we've seen this throughout the, the process. Yeah. So, uh, you know, apparently like, you know, they feel the drivers feel, I guess that NASCAR drivers and teams should say, feel like NASCAR is well aware of this and they'd already tried to bring this up. And now this issue has, you know, been a problem and they're like a little bit frustrated that, you know, they haven't come up with the solution yet, but what is that solution? I'm not sure. Joey Logano said, uh, if our, uh, my followers on Twitter and listeners on the, on the teardown or whatever, you know, anybody has any ideas out there, please let him know because he's not sure. So he's, uh, soliciting feedback for what people could possibly do to, to figure out this, this problem. But, um, clearly it is a problem, but again, like you said, it's, it's just one of those things where 
brand new car. They're going to get the bugs worked out. I, I feel like I'm not too uh, panicked about it in the sense that it, it's going to get worked out in a, a few couple months from now. You know, maybe they need, maybe they do need to run inner liners with the tires. I, I don't know if it's, if this tire design won't that? work. Yeah, is, maybe not. I don't know. Understanding is that the way the car sits, the car is too low to, you, you can't raise it up. Like you can't raise the tires up because it would bump into the Well, maybe itself. they might have to raise the car up somehow. I don't know. But don't obviously know. the, the, the problem with raising the car up is the teams want the car as low as possible yeah. because that's what makes speed. So then are you going to get into this thing where, you know, like they used to have with the bump stops, like they failed the height inspections and all this no, stuff. We don't, we don't need that era of that police now. Right. I, I think, right. I think riding mechanics going back to the days of the Indy 500 where you had the driver and then a mechanic <laughs> riding right next to him. Like Chad Canales is riding shotgun with Chase Elliott on the racetrack. Why not? All right. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's really going to be a solution. I'm just spitballing ideas here. I mean, yeah, just okay. you ask well, for ideas. I'm trying to come up with ideas. You, he did ask for ideas. He did. So there's a Jordan's idea. <laughs> Um, Jordan, you know, last week, uh, you, you, you caught some flack, at least from me and some of my friends on Twitter, because well, you, shocked. you claimed that, um, you knew Austin Cindric was, no, I said with the caveat, if he could win a race, he was going to make the playoffs. And I wouldn't be surprised if he won a race. Okay. Well, someone on this <sighs> podcast, I don't know if you recall this, you probably blocked out your memory, but I just want to go for a little bit of credit here. Since you were going for your credit. Uh, somebody on this podcast, uh, in the, in our, our team preview mm -hmm. had said that maybe petty GMS, uh, you know, they should, you know, would think that top 15 finishes would be good. And s another person on the podcast, when that person said that scoffed at this, oh, the top 15s. Oh, no way. That's not going to happen. Uh, I've seemed to recall somebody saying, and, uh, Eric Jones, uh, yeah. of Petty GMS, uh, looked pretty good today as we were talking about. He led six different times. Looked uh, really good. I mean, so what? How do you how do you feel about Petty GMS now? Does that change your tune, or was just this just a fluke? Okay, I honestly don't remember. Did I scoff or did you scoff? I would not have brought it up if I was. Of if, course, I wouldn't be giving you credit. I'm looking I, for my credit. I, we, <laughs> No, I was going to say something really snarky and I'm thinking better of it because it's going to put me in hot water. So I'm not going to I, listen. I think Eric Jones is a talented driver. Right? And I've said this many times, but I think with, I think he deserves to be with a team befitting his talent. And I think if you put him with a big team, he can win races. Can GMS continue this week after week? That we'll see. I mean, we have seen one off. Let's just do it. We've seen one offs from organizations before. I mean, Bubba Wallace finished third in the Brickyard 400 in 2019 we, we've seen these moments where teams will pop up and they have a race or two along the way and what jones did this weekend is earned all of the credit from qualifying to the race to the finish 100 percent. but one week doesn't make a season let's see you do this week after week after week if they give him good cars and they can give him fast race cars jones knows what to do with them that's not the question he's not it's what else everything else about it that's the question the uncertainty and if I'm wrong, good for them. They just they deserve all the credit in the world. But I'm just not ready to plant my flag and say this is one week. I mean, you look at the point standings right now. You got like a Denny Hamlin and William Byron buried in points, and you got a guy. You know, they're they're below BJ McLeod in the point standings right now. I mean, are we all? You know, it's just it's early. Let's just pump the brakes and everything. Get back to me in like two months. Yeah, you're right. It is early, and uh, you know, you, when you have guys like Christopher Bell. 
Ross Chastain, Harrison Burton, and William Byron are all uh, behind Garrett Smithley in points. Hamlin. Yeah. I believe, yes. And like you said, Hamlin is behind Cody Ware and BJ McLeod in points. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the standings are still going to shake out. Austin Sindrick, uh, from what I'm seeing here, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, remains the points leader mm-hmm. after the first two weeks of the season. Again, um, just Good not race for him, by the way. Like it's really yeah, easy to like, very respectable kind of to, to yeah, win like the poll, and he was up. Yeah. He was up there all day. Uh, well, all you know, day he had an incident, in, but... got caught into an accident, not right. of his own doing. Yeah, he deserves a lot of credit for today. He's doing really, really. He's incredibly well. Oh, I'm so surprised too. Like I feel like very much like wow. I mean, Austin Cindric, I had such low expectations, and even after he won the day 500, I'm like, well, he's not going to come back that up at. Fontana, this is where the real racing begins, and um, really was impressive. I mean, to win the poll, uh, that took some bravery. Um, I mean, I just, you know, in general, I just love hearing these guys get out of the car and talk about how, how hard it was. I mean, Eric Jones was saying he was practically sick to his stomach after qualifying, for instance, because um, just the, the nervousness that it took to, to put those laps together. Um, Good. Exactly, exactly. Like, it's, you know, especially in sort of – I don't know, maybe sort of like a, the buy a ride era, although that's not really the case, you know, completely in cup yet, but you know, the more that money becomes a factor and you go, I don't know, are these guys really like that good? Like some of these people are, you know, could, maybe I could do that. Could I do that? You know, like, especially the last few years in the 550 package or something. I don't know. They put me in a car and I learned how to do that and had a good spotter telling me where to go. Oh, you really you know? bought this ever? No, but I'm saying what the point is, you don't want ever to have yeah. somebody watch that you want this to be hard you want the casual fan to sit at home and go i can't do that exactly exactly that's my point like you would never watch an f1 race and go i bet i could do that but i feel like nascar in some cases it looks too easy it's made it look too easy you know they don't spin they just kind of stay there and you go ah, maybe it's not that hard well it is hard and um you know these guys proved how hard it is today and uh i'm looking forward to more of that of of them being on the edge and trying to figure it out and i didn't you know despite it being very hard and very snappy loose and all the challenges they had i did not hear one driver get out and go this is ridiculous i can't drive this car this car sucks you know did you hear any of that at all not one complaint not one twitter comment nothing nobody nobody was like this is ridiculous they need to fix this they need to make these more stable nothing nothing. So, um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm very, I'm very optimistic that, that that's going to be continuing going forward. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's talk about more of these, more of the drivers though, uh, before we go on too much farther, because, um, I, you know, I think, I think it deserves, uh, you know, Daniel Suarez, for instance, could have won this race. Uh, maybe he, you know, he didn't pick the right line and his battle with Larson late, but he hasn't had a ton of experience even being in that position to battle for a win. Um, that would have been huge for track house. It would have been huge for this market with all the Daniels amigos, you know, you have the Hispanic market. Yeah, what were you saying? I was going to say huge for NASCAR across the board. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if Suarez can become a winning driver. Um, but anyway, I mean, that, that's, I think still feel it's a, like a good sign for track house. Uh, you know, he finishes fourth, um, Eric Jones, third Logano, uh, boy, I didn't realize Eric Almarola came up to finish uh, sixth. That's surprising to me. He, he seemed to, um, he, he was, had an up and down day. Harvick was completely out to lunch for a while, by the way, and ended up finishing seventh. Kurt Busch overcame a lot uh, with the pass-through penalty and everything to finish eighth. Daniel Hemrick was like, I, I'm pretty sure he was six laps That's down. Six. Six. Six laps down in this race, and he finished ninth on the lead lap. Unbelievable. Impressive. Uh, Kyle Busch, by the way, as well, was I think he was five laps down, and he finished on the lead lap in 14th. Um, Good so, comeback for Kyle because we, you know, we it's, he, he, Kyle gets a reputation for somebody when things aren't going right, he kind of throws up his hands and whatever. But this was a eight. This was Kyle Busch being gritty today and, and gutting out uh, on a day when their car was all sorts of issues. That's that's impressive to me. Absolutely. Um, I also think you know Chase Briscoe impressed me today. For uh, yep. unfortunately, he he had a really bad stop, really bad pit stop at one point. Same with Blaney today. Blaney had a really good car. I think oh my Blaney gosh. had one of the. Dude, what was up with Blaney's pit crew? I don't know. How I, many stops? He did he wasn't he losing like four or five every, spots like every freaking every stop? stop? It was I mean it was like he was losing four or five spot chunks almost every single pit stop, and it was Holy bad. I mean, how what was up with that? I'm never in favor of drivers calling out their pit crew in races. I think you handle that stuff kind of behind the scenes. Um, but in this instance, I was like, wait, I'm like. Ryan would have been excused from from saying something because that had to be fun. He had a, he had a really fast car. Like every single time, he he'd lose a bunch of spots in pit road. He'd come back. He'd like come back in a hurry, and he'd be in the top three four spots. And you're like, okay, he's got you know he's going to be in a player. And then same thing. It was wash, rinse, repeat all day long. It had to be maddening. And looking at the finish order, he finishes 18th, and you leave there and you're going what in the hell like we you know we, we had a fast race car i didn't do anything wrong i i, I managed on a, on a day when everyone else was spinning out i didn't and we leave with an 18th place finish yeah that's that's pretty bad i mean he should have been i mean that it seemed like he was gonna have a chance to, at the win and uh, wow by the way uh before we go any further speaking of blaney i definitely need to correct i already correct correct this on twitter uh but in case you didn't see it on twitter and you only listen to this podcast i have to correct what i said last week on this podcast. And I apologize because I said that Blaney did not shake Austin Sindrick's hand in victory lane. And, uh, I was presented with photographic evidence that he did. I would not have believed it. Actually, if somebody just said, no, I saw him and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And you missed it. I would have said, no, I, I'm, I'm like very, very, very sure he didn't. And, uh, somebody sent me a picture of them shaking hands. I, can't deny that. I mean, they did. Uh, so I felt really bad about that because Blaney was actually classy. He, he was obviously really pissed. He was very pissed about how the Daytona 500 ended. Um, and it wasn't like hugging his teammate or like having a long conversation, but he did shake his hand. And uh, I wanted to acknowledge that. I actually called Blaney um, this week and we talked and I, I felt really bad. I just wanted to apologize. So, uh, you know, sing, things that we say on this podcast believe it or not, get picked up by other podcasts sometimes too. Uh, I heard I did this. I not know that. Is that true, Jeff? <laughs> uh, this, you know, our, our friend Jason Schultz from Door Bumper Clear, he listens to this podcast. And then sometimes the topics come up on Door Bumper Clear. And that, that was one of the cases this week. So Door Bumper Clear was talking about what I had said on this 
podcast and then it just keeps, you know, it get, like gets out of your control and you can't take it in. So I really hate making mistakes. It's been eating me up all week. Uh, I apologize for the, not, you know, I, I, I would not have said that if I wasn't pretty sure, but apparently I wasn't sure enough. I, I just was blocked from seeing that and missed it. I shouldn't have ever said anything. Should have just said he was credit, pissed. You owned, you owned up to it. You apologize. You move forward. All good. I'll, I'll try. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the, the Blaney thing was very interesting in the fact that like for a while, uh, I think I actually both stages, both stages one and two, Penske had all three of their cars um, in the top 10 for to get stage points. And I just thought, wow, I mean, Penske has really figured out how to, how you know, this car, you know, Ford in general had had such a strong start to the season, had, you know, had been undefeated so far. Um, now Chevy breaks through and Hendrick breaks through, but it still feels like Penske really has a good feel for this. Logano was very competitive, probably could have won the race had things gone a little bit differently. Again, Sindrick was going to be up there, um, but, you know, got into that incident late and then Blaney's pit crew. Um, but they have strong cars too. Uh, the ones that I didn't think were as impressive among the big teams, wh- where were the Joe Gibbs cars most of the day? Well, that I, you make that, I actually want to bring this up. They were having heating issues, which is fascinating to me, overheating issues, because the 18 had it, the 11 had it, and the 20 had it. I think the 19 at one point had a little bit too, but not to the same degree. And immediately, obviously, with this new car, one of the distinct features of this new car is that each manufacturer has different, it's it's very different. And the cooling systems on the car, what do they call it? The cowling? Is that right? Yeah, there's um, like, well, stuff can get in there. Yeah. And so... You immediately wonder, like, this is a Toyota issue. Is this just a one-off thing or, you know, or just have bad luck and things happen? Or is this part of a bigger problem with their design of the next-gen car and that this is something that you could see going forward? Because it completely crippled the 18 today. It put the 11 way behind and they never able to get all their track position back. And the 20 never had a good run going, too. And he would never, you know, his day ended in a bad way. So, yeah, he DNF'd. Yeah. Is this a one-off? Is this something bigger? I, I'm really curious to see how, what, what this is moving forward. Yeah. They kept trying to like put fans in there or something and try to like blow dust out of there. I think I, I couldn't yeah, they had a leaf blower and Kyle, they had a leaf blower at one point in one of the cars, which I thought was hilarious because when in doubt, I always go with a leaf blower. Yeah. But I have a question though. And, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade at my favorite race on the schedule, but what does that mean for the dirt race? Like if these cars are overheating cause stuff's getting in there. So Kyle um, Bush said the same thing on his radio, by the way. Oh really? He, he, I didn't hear he that. Co- well, he made a kind of a comment. He goes, this is the same issue we had last year at Bristol dirt. And of course my mind automatically goes to my favorite, you know, colleague and favorite motorsports writer, <laughs> Jeff Clark, who is just, you know, the number one Bristol dirt fan out there and what he was going to say about this, but it's a good point. Like, I mean, honestly think about next week at Vegas, how many times have we seen Vegas where it's been really windy and stuff is blowing around? I mean, there's a, there's quite a few of these racetracks where there's things that, you know, it's not uncommon for debris to be out there. Yeah. Well, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm sure that's another one of those things, just like the tires and the tow truck and all that stuff they're going to have to figure out. Um, Jordan, I know, sorry that we're, jumping all over the place, by the way, it just seems like there's so much to dive into and so much exciting stuff to talk about. But uh, one thing we didn't talk about is what, what should they do with this track now? Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is the question I've been waiting to ask the whole podcast. Like it's a great, I mean, when we, when we can, I think we can say this, when the athletic broke the news that this transformation was going to happen 
I mean, I think across the board, we all thought it was a great move because Fontana had kind of outlived its usefulness. It hadn't put on good racing anymore. NASCAR needs more short tracks, yada, yada, yada. And then obviously things have kind of gone a long way and then things are very much up in the air. You tell me, Jeff, you're NASCAR, you're making the decision. I, I have my opinion. I'll tell you what I think. But you tell me, if you're NASCAR, what are you doing right now? Are you blowing up Fontana and building a half mile racetrack hybrid Martinsville, Bristol? Are you going to say, you know what, this track is too good. What we saw today, we can't lose this. Well, the problem is just because it puts on great racing like we saw today. And by the way, the Xfinity race was crazy as well. Both both races had track records for the amount of caution. So uh, this is the oldest surface, obviously. Look, at some point, <clears throat> you're going to have to repave it. Um, this surface has never been repaved. It opened in 1997. This is the 25th uh, anniversary of the track. So it, you could say, well, let's just keep it like this. But at some point, you're going to have to repave it, and then it's not going to be as good for a while anyway, you would think. Um, so, and, and that's going to cost a lot of money to pave this massive, massive place. It's also, I mean, the big thing is the, the, the property around here. Um, we're at the intersection of two extremely, uh, busy, uh, Southern California thoroughfares, um, I-10 and I-15, or as they call them here, the 15 and the 10. You would never want to call them I something in Southern California. People look at oh, you like you're enough. not, yeah, don't. Don't be like, oh, I got on I-10. You do not say that in Southern California. It's everything oh. is the. I got on the 10, the 15. And if you say I, whatever, they know you're not from here. So. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Anyway, so we're near the 10 and the 15. And that's uh, a major thing because this is like warehouse central now. And, uh, you know, this land, I mean, this is a massive, massive, massive property. It's not just the two-mile track, but all the stuff around this track Um it's a huge footprint and they could make so much money if they sold this place or a chunk of this place. They really could. And so, you know, how can you justify, well, yeah, it puts on a good race, especially with our new car and it's a worn out surface. We're not going to sell this place. I mean, that sounds great in theory. I don't want it to be sold. It was fun, but if you can get X amount of money for it and still have a racetrack and just build it into a short, we all want more short tracks too. You know, that, that could be fun too. So, I guess it's maybe a good problem to have and that like, you know, the 550 package wasn't the last few Fontana races haven't been good. I would say like they haven't been anything memorable. Um, if you like 2016 Fontana, uh, I don't know if that's the one, but for some reason that really sticks in my mind is like a really great one. Um, one of those early on, uh, I think there was a Fontana race on the, was it a good race poll that, um, actually got in the nineties. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not like they're, they've always been bad, but I, I think the, the 550 package made everybody go, eh, is it really that good? So, oh yeah, 2016 Fontana race got 90.3%, um, won by Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I don't really remember anything about that race necessarily, but it was just a good race. So I don't know. What do you, what do you do with this track? Do you sell the whole thing? Do you go to short track? Do you keep the big oval? I think you punt for a year. I think you hold it for what it is and race on the two mile track next year, because I want to see, is this a one-off? Is this just a fluke? It, or is this indicative of what we're going to see at Fontana going forward and come back here a year from now race. And if it's not a good race and you kind of have a little bit better understanding of where things are at with this car and, and where track, what tracks are conducive for it. And then if it's not, then you move forward and you say, we're going to go back to, we're going to original plans in, in 2020, 
four, this is going to be a half mile track. And by then, hopefully, building costs and everything will hopefully come down. So supplies will be more in abundance, which they are now. Hopefully, so the cost may be a little bit less. And if you come back a year from now and the track is great and it races like this, I got to be honest with you, I, I love short tracks. I want short tracks. But I'm looking at this saying, you know what? This is one we're probably – we don't need to touch. We're going to figure out a way to – to, to salvage the, the worn pavement that we're kind of basically doing in Atlanta. We're just going to keep patching it until we can't patch it anymore. Um, and that, that's what I would do. But I don't think you need the, the point. You do not need to make a decision now. You can wait a year. Okay, and, that's and fair. Think, that's fine. But then you, you've got to start stepping it up with more short tracks at other places. Then. 100%. And because I think the Coliseum you can't, opens. Well, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good. No, no, no. But the Coliseum opens up the door for short tracks elsewhere. We've, we, as no. we talked about. And plus you've got the fairgrounds coming down the pike. Maybe. Um, the, so, the, 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 the stadium races aren't true, you know, short track racing. It's, those are too small to put okay, on. Let's see kind of short. So 36 points races. How many short tracks would you, you want a third of the schedule to be short tracks? Is that what we're looking at here? We want 12 of those? I don't, I'm not saying I want 12, but I Give would me say a number. eight. Eight. I want eight? eight short tracks. That's easy. We got six now. No. Oh my God. I'm not going to do this debate with you. Bristol is a short track dirt, whether it's dirt or not. It's still a short track. That is not a short track. That is one of the dumbest things that you say to no, say that Bristol dirt is a short track. That's a dirt track. That's not a short track. We're talking about short tracks. You're talking. Of... So you need to specify then what you're asking for. You want no, short tracks that are I asphalt. don't need to. This is no. And Richmond is also not really a short track. It doesn't race like a short track. Richmond, yo, you can't. You 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 are on the same page as me about Richmond. I like Richmond. The I'm only sorry. the it's, only it's, true. But it is a short track. By the stand, only by true short track, track races are the two Martinsville races and the one Bristol race. There's three. I would say there's three on the schedule right now. Um, you're you're closing your eyes like you're just so frustrated. I'm sorry, but I want. I want real short tracks, like real short track racing. Br Richmond does nothing, and Bristol Dirt certainly does less than nothing in that department. So there's a chance, though. I mean, Bristol Dirt. We don't know where Bristol future Bristol Dirt is because there's a chance that Bristol Dirt may not be around long term. Well, that would be lovely, and then they could just make that number four. But either way, you you know you could potentially have a, a, you know another one out here, or maybe give give it two races if you redesign the whole track. But the point is, if you're going to keep this as two mile, going back to my original thing, you've got to step on the plans to convert other places to short tracks. Then, so maybe then you say, okay, you know what, we're not going to do it at Fontana. How about Kansas? How about Texas or something? I, I don't know. Take some of these mile and a half tracks um, that. Would anybody object if Texas tomorrow? And I, I mean, if it may announce tomorrow that Texas is going to be blown up, they're going to make a short track. I, I don't think you're going to find one single person who's going to say, oh, no, no, please, not Texas. We love that place. Oh, yeah, 100%. Although maybe maybe this, maybe you give it, uh, I don't know, like, do you need to see now with this new car changed Fontana? There's no doubt this new car That's changed Fontana. Too. So yeah. what what other tracks are we going to see this year where you go, yeah, you know, like like, for instance, Dover used to be good with one of the older cars. They used to have some good races. Is this car going to get to Dover and everybody's going to go, wow, Dover's better now yeah. or something like, is, does that change the new, way? How, yeah. How is this car on new pavement too, or newer pavement, not worn pavement. And so I, that's why I think going to Las Vegas next week is going to be very fascinating because yep. it's going to be, it's very different 
than what we saw. And I think going to Phoenix in two weeks is going to be very interesting because it's going to be so different. So we're learning every week and it's, it's, you don't want to be a prisoner in the moment and say, Oh, this is great. But you, you want to build up some data points to kind of get an idea of where this is good at. And that's why I just don't think you need to rush into decisions off of one race because you're, you very well could come to regret. It. I agree. Well, I mean, these are all just, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I think NASCAR, I just keep coming back to what I said at the beginning. NASCAR's in a good spot. NASCAR's pulling a lot of the right levers right now. For whatever reason, a lot of the decisions are working out. Um, things seem to be coming together. Drivers, people in the garage seem optimistic. Uh, it seemed to have flipped like a light switch, really. Uh, you know, the amount of people who you'd see even last year complaining or saying, oh, this needs to be changed or whatever. Um, you know, it just feels like everybody's just kind of like NASCAR has some some positive momentum going. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that, but it's very refreshing because I've been around a long time. There's been many years where you're, it just is such a slog. And like, for instance, like you're saying, I cannot wait for Las Vegas next week. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I mean, I'm not saying that's weird to say, but I'm like weird very, very much no, looking it, forward it, to that race. It's very weird to say. There's so many unknowns. Like we thought we were going to get all these questions answered today. And we got a few answers, but actually the answers we got were, oh, there's so much more to be determined uh, in, in writing this story of this season. I, I think Fox did the the best season ever thing one, one year too early because this is way more seeming like the best season <laughs> ever, uh, at least the start of it, uh, than, than what we've seen in the past. Um, I, I think we're, you know, we're going to see different names. We, we have, we still, even after today, we really have no idea who's going to be good going forward. Is it, is it going to be one manufacturer, one team that figured this out? Uh, are we going to see more exciting races? Are we going to see more, uh, hard to drive races where they're having hold on, hold on to the car? Or was that just because this worn out track and this car, the combination of them, uh, there's so many more things left to be determined. And I just think that's really exciting. I'm, I'm just, uh, I feel, I, I feel good about it, you know? Speaking of Fox sports, did you get a chance to hear Matt Kenseth in the booth at all today? Um, not too much, not too much. Tell me, tell me what you thought about that. I thought he was good. I, and to be honest with you, I watched the broadcast. I actually have the audio kind of down because I'm listening to a lot of scanner audio and stuff. So I don't always pick up everything going on, what they're being said, but from what I heard, it was good. I liked him. I thought he fit well. It was a great compliment to Clint Boyer. Um, he kind of had that Matt Kenseth sense of humor about him. Really good, smart analysis too. Wasn't, didn't try to make it about himself. Didn't over talk. Very smooth. I thought he did a really good job. Twitter seemed to give really positive feedback on it. Um, so that that's good. I, that's all I really know from it. At Twitter seemed to like Mark Martin, too, on his little cameo that he had up there. And Mark Martin later uh, teased that, yeah. you know, hey, maybe I'll come back for more. Um, so so that's interesting, too, because he had kind of said, well, I would never do that, you know. Yeah, um, Matt, but maybe, Matt, Matt said the same thing, though. I mean, so you never know. I mean, but, you, you know, in your article, I learned this from your article with you did a Q&A with Matt Kenseth to plug your work on The Athletic. That was really good. Uh, and you pointed out that I had no idea that, that this was how it was working. Clint Boyer called him. And, yeah. and I, I think that so I the way I interpret that is Fox is saying, hey, Clint, you know, who who would you feel comfortable working with? Who do you want to who would you have good chemistry with up there? And so it's it's sort of like Clint and friends. He yeah. you know, he's getting Tony Stewart. He's calling Danica. He's calling Kenseth. I'm sure he called Mark Martin, you know, uh, he's called, probably calling other people. And it's like, who, who would be good up here, um, to, to, you know, have good chemistry in the booth with me and Mike joy. 
and it seemed to be working so far. I mean, people seem to, yeah, people are still down in the commercials or whatever, but people seem to be liking the the commentary from what I understand anyway. Again, I haven't, I haven't gotten to watch next week. I will be home, uh, and the week after. So I'll be really listening to the commentary. Um, but I, I haven't really watched the broadcast yet cause I've, I've been at these races so far. So I'm curious to see what, what it will be, but it, it's, seems good so far. I, I like it because it kind of gives you something to look forward to every week um, where it's like, oh, I, I'm curious to what Matt Kenseth is like. I'm curious to hear what Danica Patrick's like. Oh, Tony Stewart's going to be at da- Tony Stewart's going to be doing the clash in Daytona. Oh, that's going to be exciting. And it also is a way of like, you don't, you know, this is like we all fall in love with somebody uh, on the broadcast side, whether it's a sport. And you're know, like all of a sudden after they kind of wear out their welcome really quick. But this is a kind of a great way to kind of keep it fresh. It's like every couple of weeks, it's something new and different. I, I'm curious to see where this goes. I mean, I'm thinking about the possibilities. It's like, who, I mean, it would be great if you could you call Carl Edwards and get Carl out to do a race, you know, or something of that nature. It, I mean, they're, they're doing the uh, box has got gateway, you know, that's in Carl, not too far from Carl's where Carl lives. It's like, that would be great to see him there. And it's like, wouldn't it be great to see Tony Stewart at the Bristol dirt race up in the broadcast booth? Like, and, and if the race is kind of goes how it went last year, where things are kind of going sideways, like Tony's up in the booth going, man, these guys sure don't know how to build a dirt track and just kind of railing on it. Like that's exciting. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And, and I think it's all, it all sort of revolves around Clint and you can really see that he, he really brings energy, you know, like he, and it's genuine too. So I I think that helps a lot that, um, it's not some, some phony crap. Like it's really him feeling that, that way and positively about stuff. I I was watching them film that scooter race because I was, waiting on a, uh, to do an interview with Corey LaJoy for the 12 questions. And he was in that, uh, sorry, not scooter race, the couch race that they did for the pre-race <laughs> show. And, um, you know, they did a couple takes of, you know, Clint doing that intro and stuff like that with, with Kenseth and, you know, Clint, he just turns on that energy and it it's, it's like it's magnetic, real. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. I think he's kind of coming into his own now. Um, you know, he's not just the sidekick to Jeff Gordon or something, but he's kind of, He's kind of having the the booth revolve around him in a way, which I think is good. You need a big personality like that to, to sort of carry it and uh, make people excited about what's going on. And the good thing for them is they haven't really had to force it in terms of like trying to sell the racing these first few weeks to, you know, you know how sometimes it's like a boring race and they're trying to tell you how great it actually is. And you're like, no, it's not. This is not a good, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is like, they actually have some good material to work with and get excited about and go, oh my gosh, and dissect it. And, and just like we are, I mean, I, I was leaving pit road after this race today. I was like, dude, I cannot wait to get on with Jordan and, and talk and do the teardown tonight. Like I was so excited about it. Um, you know, I, I could probably, I'm sure there's some people who are listening to this and they're going like, oh, you know, I've gotten these comments on Twitter, which is pretty funny. Like, what a shill, you know, all you do is, you know, kiss NASCAR's butt, all this stuff. I just want to be like, dude, go read our comments on like Apple podcasts for what people said about our podcast over the last year. Like you guys are too negative. If you hate the sport, why don't you go somewhere else? You know, blah, blah, blah. If you're so miserable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all along, I just, I just want it to be better. I want it to be, to, to sort of get back to what I thought that, that gave me some passion for NASCAR, like that excited me about NASCAR when I first got into it. And I feel like the racing, like that we saw at Fontana today is as close to that as I can remember in years. Um, I'll also say that I think the crowd was really good today. We didn't talk about that, but, um, I was very like, eh, you know, 
Clash was really good crowd. Daytona 500 was sold out. Is that really going to translate to Fontana though? Like I saw the infield was sold out, but I'm like, eh, I don't know if the stands are going to look that good today. I sit in the same spot uh, in the skybox press thing or whatever. Um, and look, I look directly at the stands every year here. And it's kind of like a unique view compared to what we normally get. And I've, I was like, oh, there's there's a lot more people here than I've seen um, in years past. Like the stands, of course, are not sold out. There's these are like, whatever. I don't know if it's ninety thousand seat grandstands still or, or whatever it is, but um, it wasn't a sellout. But I mean, there was a pretty large, decent amount of people here today, and I, I thought that was good and another sign of uh, the momentum continuing. So I'm going to be positive about NASCAR when it's deserved to be positive about. And I'm going to be negative when I think there's things to point out about it. But right now, I genuinely, truly feel with no BS that things seem to be heading in the right direction. I feel good about, uh, the start to this year and I'm excited. I'm like genuinely excited to see what's next. Are you excited for Bristol dirt then? Does that mean you've changed? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you what, Kyle Larson, blunt Larson had a great comment today because, uh, he got asked in the post-race press conference, something about Bristol dirt. Uh, you know, they said, well, Joey Logano won dirt. And he's like, well, that's not real dirt. He said, Bristol dirt's not real dirt. That's right. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, just get rid of all that dirt. Um, I'm still, I, yeah. Anyway, uh, Jordan, you're not going to be laughing when I tell you this last week on the, was it a good race poll? Yeah, you, I got you nailed it. hundred percent. Congratulations. You got 87 nailed it. Wow. Woo. Yay. Congratulations. Okay. Do you mind picking first or are you, <laughs> you didn't even let, you know, you wanted, you wanted your kudos for not actually picking Austin Sindrick, but you said you picked him. I can't uh, with a caveat. I also, by the way, in a chat we did last month on theathletic.com, I said Fox should have Matt Kenseth in the broadcast booth and should, and he would be good. And you responded to that and said he would be bad. So I just want to have You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. I said that he would not be good. We got we were doing a chat with the readers. Yeah. And they said, What do you think about Kenseth? And I said, I said it would not translate well. I don't think that would be good. I would not like to see that. Guess what? I was wrong. Yep. Just like you were wrong about Austin Sindrick winning a race this year. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, what are, we, are you picking first or am I picking first? But I didn't get to toot. You're not going to let me toot my own horn after the first no, ever. No, we the show moving on, Jeff. We got time in here. Let's move. First ever perfect guess down to the decimal point on the Was It a Good wow, Race poll. That's great. I'll uh, make sure to mail you a certificate in the mail. Put that in the mail today. Well, Big Joe Wall, sure. 72. I mean, I, I'm getting the tweets from him. So that's, I guess that's all I need in my life that he keeps our score and he knows that I got the perfect guess. Aim higher, Jeff. Aim higher. Well, um, so yeah, I, I think I do have to go first, right? Because okay. I, I won. This is, this is now, okay, this is a tricky one, I will say, because I think Twitter was very positive about this race. I think Chase Elliott fans might be disappointed about how it went down at the might air at be. the end. I don't know that they'll take points off for the race. Um, I don't think that the excessive cautions and, and the race seeming long will take that away. I mean, it was the racing. This was a really good race. Like this race should be in the nineties. It should be in the nineties in the poll. It should be the number one Fontana race in the polls. You open the show saying, is this the best Fontana race ever? But as I just noted earlier, there is a Fontana race out there that has a um, 90.3. So all that said, I think, uh, I think I'm going to go 91.3. Ah, damn it. Did I take yours? Yeah, I was, was going to go 91. Uh, you can go, you, you look, 
feel free to box no. me no, in. No, 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 because I'm gonna go the other way then. If you're gonna take 91, that's fine, because I'm gonna swing the other way. I'm gonna, I'll just count. I'm gonna count on the. I'm gonna hopefully count on the Elliot backlash a little bit. Give me a 80. You know what? 87 in honor of my friend Jeff, who nailed the perfect score last week. I'm gonna go 87 as well. Really? You think it's gonna be the 80s, huh? No, I don't think. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying to play the game here. I'm not trying to actually think. I think you're probably going to be right. I think this is going to go over 90s, but I'm trying to maybe back trying to what? Win here. We're trying to what? If you this is our guess, if you think what you think, I'm trying like, to beat like you. When you That's thought all I care about. <laughs> I don't. Care. By the way, um, I will say also, you you need to uh, wait for this hot take uh, that oh. will potentially turn cold. Because um, in our in our preseason preview, uh, I put that team Trackhouse would be the most disappointing team of the year. And I was watching Suarez lead late in this race today, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to come back to me real quick, real quick." That may have it's, crossed my mind. Yeah, uh, I was but, like, "Again, one week. I'm not going to make any you know broad statements about what true. it was going to do. What?" Let's it's just, true. Let's, it's true. You know, we'll see. Because I mean, they honestly, so, I mean, they had some moments last year where they like you look like they were going to win, and then it didn't happen. So we'll see. Yeah. What What else did we? I mean, I gosh, I feel like there was a zillion things to talk about from this race. Let me look at my list. Um, um, I think honestly, we covered just about. Can I ask you something? This is a question yeah. I have. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is on my list was the Tyler Reddick. He gets into the wall. I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding why. William Byron was so close to him. Was like, did he just come off a of turn two like so fast and like like in that instance like you should be way down the track, right? I I, I was a little bit perplexed by that, like you know, because Reddick had a flat tire before that, and then and he was hugging the wall, like bouncing off of it. Yeah, well, I I don't know. I I guess my answer to that is I don't think we saw enough of an angle. The angle yes. w- that you see. That was sort of like low to the ground angle that they showed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it looks like how did he hit him? Like, you know, like like you're saying, why why was he even close to him? It's a huge wide track. Why wouldn't he have just gone and avoided him? But I think maybe, you know, I don't think from, from the angle that Fox showed that we could tell maybe he was coming down or something yeah. and, and it was too late because I mean, I don't think Byron was just gonna go buzz a guy with a flat tire. Sure, no, you know. I, I thought this the same thing crossed my mind, but I, I just don't think that that would be, it wouldn't make sense. So, um, you know, Byron's not that kind of like reckless driver. It's going to do something dumb. No, like that. I, it, it was just curious. Yeah, no, I, I had the same thought, but I just don't think that we saw. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, did, you know, do you want to talk about IndyCar? I, I feel bad. IndyCar had their season opener um, at St. Pete. Uh, earlier today, uh, unfortunately, I, I just I couldn't watch any of it. I had the tweet up at the same time, and then uh, walking the garage, I, I didn't see one thing. I, I did see that Scott McLaughlin won uh, from the pole, his first career win. Uh, the former Australia uh, V8 Supercars driver, um, really impressive. Sounds like a pr- impressive performance, you know. Judging yeah. by your tweet, uh, I know you. Sounds like you watched that race. You want to give share some thoughts real quick. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of hype about Scott coming over here, making the transition to IndyCar, and I think he had an okay rookie year. He, you know, had some moments and everything, but really didn't perform. I don't know. It's hard. Your first year, it's hard to, you know, be fair about where he's at. And he's coming into year two, and the expectation is, okay, what can you do to take that next step? And you go out and win the poll, and then not just win the poll, 
then you lead a large chunk of laps. And then you hang, you, you fend off Alex Pillow to, to win the race. You manage traffic. He managed that race, you know, expertly. It rewards the faith of Roger Penske, who saw this guy, recognized the talent, and said, that's a guy who I'm going to take from basically Australian stock cars, and I'm going to put it in an Indy car, and rewards the faith in that. And then all of a sudden you're looking at this going, man, the, 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 does Team Penske have another ace in its hole? Like, I mean, here's this guy in the second year. And I thought the broadcast today made a really good point. And by the way, James Hinchcliffe, phenomenal in the broadcast. Phenomenal. Oh, really? Phenomenal. Um, part of that too is also that Paul Tracy's not in the broadcast booth, so it's addition by subtraction. But Ooh. James is James is phenomenal. Um, but they made a really good point in that you know last year Alex Below going into his second year in IndyCar made this jump from kind of an un, you know unheralded so-so rookie year to a champion, and so we, we've seen this before. And I'm not ready to declare him the champion or anything, but that was a really impressive performance on a street course on a type of track where he kind of struggled on last year. That this was this was neat to see. Um, you know, because we were recording this pretty much, you know, uh, essentially live, uh, live the tape. Um, things happen during our show, uh, and oh. you know, things happen on Twitter or things like that uh, as the post race stuff uh, is all going on. One of those things is that Kyle Larson's spotter has tweeted. Um, oh. He said. Today, I made a mistake. I will take full responsibility for what happened on the track today. I was worried more about the 22 and not the nine. It was a late call on me, and it had nothing to do with Kyle. Yeah, which fits with what Kyle said. And that's, exactly. that's you know, yeah. And that should squash this and hopefully kind of everybody moves forward. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. And uh, again, like we said, we bought Larson's story to begin with anyway, so... Um, man, I just feel like there's so much more to talk about, but the good we thing covered, is I, we covered everything on my list. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's going to be plenty more to talk about in future teardowns as well. I think this might, uh, it's, well, this might be close to our longest teardown ever, actually, at least post-race version. So, uh, yeah, very exciting. Very fun. Good start to the year. Um, I, I, I said, I, I really can't wait till next week. I'm, I'm already counting down the days. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what happens. Qualifying. I, you know, uh, let's talk about that real quick. Uh, the, the new practice qualifying format. I thought that worked well in addition to, you know, yes, they had a lot of incidents and things like that, but just the, the way that they had the practice groups and then the way that they did the, the top five advancing from each uh, group from qualifying to like a final 10. I like that they did single car. That all worked for me as well. Like yep. I thought that I was like, oh, this is good. This is a good way to do it. Um, it was fun. It, it was fun to watch qualifying again too. So um, another another W, I think. I thought the qualifying format was well. Um, I would like to maybe see a little bit more practice, but you know, it kind of varies on who you talk to and whether that's a good thing or not. I was very happy with the format. The only you know goes back to what we said about the tow trucks and guys having flat tires and that kind of thing and keeping the show, but. I thought it worked well and it's entertaining. It made for a good, nice TV window. And I think NASCAR has done a good job with this and kind of structuring a nice balance of what is good for TV, what is good for those at the racetrack and what is good for its teams. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for hopping on here, Jordan. And, uh, it was a good time. I'm, uh, well, I, I, you know, can you please tweet us and let you guys let us know what you guys thought as well? Like, are we are we uh, are we too enthusiastic? Are we overselling it? Did you agree with us that this is off to a great start? Um, 
What are your thoughts after all this? We'd like to hear from you. Tweet us at Jeff underscore Gluck and uh, Jordan underscore Bianchi. And uh, in the meantime, we'll have more coverage for you on The Athletic this week. Please check out our stuff. And we will talk to you next time on The Teardown.